I want you to stand with me. I want to go straight to the word of the Lord this morning because hey, don't let this make you panic. We were ready for you. I have a nine-point sermon this morning, which means I have crammed a lot in here, and that means I'm going to have to go fast, and I know I won't be able to go over every scripture, but I wanted you to have all the scriptures and all the resources so you could go home and think about this at home as well. So, I haven't had enough coffee, but I think I can get through it this morning. Let's, let's look at this verse, verse of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. In all of my affliction, I find great comfort in your promises, for they have kept me alive. How many of you can say amen to that? And if you're watching online, just type us an amen and let us know there. Let's read that out loud together. In all of my affliction, I find great comfort in your promises, for they have kept me alive. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, in the next few minutes as we look at your amazing promises to us about our finances, we pray, God, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, so that we can be what you've always wanted us to be, generous people, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Dale Moody made this statement, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Say that out loud with me. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Now, here's what you need to know about D.L. Moody. He was an uneducated shoe salesman in Chicago. D.L. Moody didn't have the benefit of an education or a home life like a lot of you had, and yet when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, he became a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He traveled the world preaching for the Lord. He shared his faith. He loved lost people. He knew that God loved lost people. And in his ministry, he became so influential that the Queen of England invited him to England, and he actually preached in the palace to the Queen. She wanted to hear from this remarkable man. Those that worked with him testify, and even his son wrote that Although he was illiterate, D.L. Moody, the Holy Spirit, taught him how to read the Bible. And he read the Word, studied the Word, and preached the Word. It's remarkable whenever you meet an adult that has learned to how to read and comprehend the Bible. It's a remarkable thing that when you read, meet an illiterate adult that could read the King James Version of the Bible and learn to comprehend it and preach it the way he did. He made this statement, though, though... God never made a promise that was too good to be true. I've had the, the joy and the privilege of helping people, uh, of mediating between business people and businesses on several occasions when they've had a disagreement. There's something common that I've always found, though, in those disagreements, and that is some, most of the time, I won't say every time, but in almost every one of those discussions, someone made a promise that was too good to be true. And when the promise was too good to be true, then they weren't able to keep up their end of the promise, and the other person, the business or the, the other client, was left holding the bag because they fully trusted this person's word. My word means a lot to me. Trust means a lot to me. You want to be trusted. In today's marketplace, trust is a commodity that you can't put a price tag on. I don't even like to use the word commodity. It's a virtue that you can't put a price tag on because people want to trust. But God never, ever made a promise that he wasn't able to keep 
and that he did not keep. He, every promise he ever made to us, he kept. One of the remarkable things in preparing for this series of messages, and I've never thought about it this way, but behind every command of God, there is a promise. God promises that if you do this, I will do this. And so when we disobey the commandments of God, then what we're saying is we don't trust God's promise. Every disobedience is an act of disbelief in the Word of God, the trust of trust in God and integrity in God. And so every time we believe the promises of God, we're acting upon our faith, and to, to believe something is to do something. Now, let me see if I can kind of help with this. Because in the first message of this series, I talked about when God makes covenant promises. Those covenant promises God is going to do, they're unconditional promises that God is going to do no matter what you and I say or do. God's going to do those things. But then there are conditional promises that God makes that comes in His commands that He tells us, if you do this and I promise you, I will do that. Now, that's not manipulative because most of us in here who are parents, we've made that kind of promise to our children. If you'll eat all of your vegetables, then you can have chocolate pie for dessert. But if you don't eat all of your vegetables, you can't have chocolate pie. And the parent that gives in to the whining and the crying of the child and says, okay, you didn't eat your vegetables, but here's the chocolate pie, you're teaching them that they don't have to obey the condition to get the promise. And it's important that we understand that everything we do is an instructional moment in the lives of our children. Now, we don't want to make great big demands. If you know there's some sort of vegetable that would make your child just gag, then don't make that the condition. I can't think of one thing that God asks us not to do that has ever made me gag. I can't think of one thing that God's ever asked me to do that's ever made me gag. I can think of some foods that I ate that when I ate them, they made me gag, okay? And I've learned that that's just a food I can't eat. And so you, you, learn, you know your children and you make the promises based upon their abilities to keep the conditions you set. Well, God sets conditions for us. So let me give you an example. Do you remember when the children of Israel were crossing the wilderness I have 40 years in the wilderness. God said, I'm going to give you bread from heaven every day. It's called manna. I love that old Keith Green song where he sings about manna burgers, you know. He sends manna from heaven, but he says, on the sixth day, gather twice as much because you're not allowed to gather manna on the seventh day. But he also said, don't gather more than you need. And so some people, because they didn't trust God when they saw the manna, they got a lot more than what they needed, and then it would stink, and it would have maggots in it. That makes me gag, right? It makes you gag just to think about it. But on the sixth day, they gathered a double portion, and on the seventh day, there was no manna in, from heaven, and the manna didn't stink, and it didn't have maggots in it, and they were able to provide for their families. It was a promise with the condition that God kept, and he sustained them for 40 years like that. So what I want to begin this message this morning with is, is remind us again, there are promises that are unconditional, there are promises that are conditional. D.L. Moody makes the statement that I think is biblically very accurate, that God never makes a promise that's too good to be true, Unlike some of the folks that I have worked with in helping them get conflicts resolved, 
But God also says that if you will do this, you will be blessed. And so I want to talk about God's promises to bless people who are generous. The first thing I want you to see is God promises good will come to me. God promises good will come to me. In other words, I find it a blessing, and I know that you do, and I believe that even if you're not a follower of Christ, you can find blessings in obeying God. I have friends that have not become Christians yet, but they are generous because they have told me out of their own mouths that though I haven't committed my life to the Lord, I have found that when I am generous, God brings good into my life. Now, I'm praying for them that they will come back to Christ. There's someone who gives to this church that hasn't crossed the line yet, but they know that God honors His Word to generous people. To fear God means to revere God and obey God. Now, I don't want to startle anybody with this statement, but I want you to listen to it carefully. The person that says to me they're not a Christian yet, they haven't crossed the line and given their heart to Jesus, but they're living generously, they're revealing what Christ is like more than the person who's crossed the line, given their life to Jesus, but then they disobey God and they don't live a generous life. The person that's lost is finding good coming to him because he or she is being generous. The person that is giving his heart to Jesus, God's keeping his unconditional promise to him or her, but there are blessings that they are missing because they have not given their hearts to Christ. And so what we do is what we believe. Generosity comes from a heart that gladly obeys God. Look at Psalms 112 and verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous. Will you say that one out loud with me? Good will come to those who are generous. Because generosity cures two problems that happen in our hearts, or can happen in my heart. It may not happen in yours, but generosity cures the problem that I have of ignoring people in need. Because it's real easy for me to turn my head because I'm always in a hurry, there's always something going on, always something to do, and the Lord always brings back to me that image of the good Samaritan where the priest and the rabbi passed him by, but a Samaritan stopped and bandaged up his wounds. So being generous and saying, Lord, I want to live generously today to people in need, it helps me to stop and pay attention to those who are in need. The second thing, generosity always demonstrates my trust in God and not my trust in the bottom line of mine and Becky's financial report. When I print out our financial report at the end of the month, where we're at with our savings and where we're at with our, 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 our obligations, my, 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 my trust is not in that bottom line. My trust is in God because I know that God will supply and He has supplied for Becky and I for almost 50 years all of our needs. What does that mean? That means we don't live in worry about our finances. We don't live in worry about our money. Becky and I have seen the times when our cupboards were literally bare. We literally prayed, God, we need a miracle this week because God taught us how to trust Him with our tithes and our missions giving. You may have never been that way. I was concerned that for Becky, and, and yet she told me that her family had experienced the same thing. I never experienced that growing up. But we did experience that in ministry, and we found that God always provided, and God taught us from an early age not to worry, but to keep our faith in God and not in the bottom line. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, He who is generous 
will be blessed. I mean, there is a definite statement there. And literally, that word generous eye, that word generous means a good eye. It means you have an eye that sees other people in need. You have an eye that sees uh, how to be generous as compared to the person who's always hoarding things because they're worried they're not going to have enough. St. Basil said years, centuries and centuries ago, back, you know, in the early days of the church, Basil said, you know, your barns are full, your vats are full. Why is it that you're not being generous? You have more than enough. Why is it you're not being generous? And I think that's the word of God sometimes to the church, not necessarily Woodland, because this is a generous church, but he's saying to the church at large, I have blessed you, especially in the West, I have blessed you. Why are you struggling with being generous? COVID revealed something in the United States, something that was nasty, something that was ugly. Because do you remember those days when COVID first came and people were hoarding uh, hand sanitizer and turning around and trying to sell it at ridiculous profits? Two men got arrested in Tennessee for just driving through the state and buying up all the hand sanitizer they could, leaving other people without nothing, and they were charging ridiculous prices for it. There's a law against that. Remember how people would just clear off the shelves of toilet tissue and paper towels and sugar and flour and rice and grains because they wanted to be sure their family had enough, and so they were hoarding, not thinking about what other people needed. And we all of a sudden, we had government officials, we had public announcement commercials, please don't buy any more than what you need so that everybody can have something, and yet so many people hoarded. They had an evil eye rather than a generous side. So literally, that's what that verse is saying. I think about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah used his considerable wealth and his influence, and he fed the poor, he fed the destitute at his very own table, and he used his influence to bring good into their life. You see, what God calls us to live by is sacrifice and not convenience. God calls us to live, and he teaches us how to live sacrificially, and in turn, he will pour back into our lives. Martin Luther said this, and it's not in your outline, so listen carefully. One good work done for God will be seen to show more glory than the whole frame of heaven and earth. What's Luther saying? That whenever you partner with God and you live a generous life, you're revealing what God is like to lost people, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And God says, I will see to it that peace, security, I will see to it that prosperity, I will see to it that good comes into your life. And I'm going to drive that point home in this message. How the Word says that, that's not me saying that or anybody else saying, how the Word says those three things will come into our life. Number two, God promises that my children will be blessed. So God not only promises that good will come into my life, But God promises that my children will be blessed as well. My grandchildren will be blessed. I love what David said. David said, I once was young, but now I'm old. I can bear witness to that statement. I once was young, but now I am old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. And I can say amen to that. I can bear witness to that. My mother was the daughter of a sharecropper. And if you don't know anything about sharecroppers in the South, sharecroppers were extremely poor. 
And my mother can tell us, has told us stories about what it was like growing up, not having money for shoes, not having enough money for, for a lot of things, none of the comforts and luxuries of life that we grew up used to, and yet they lived so poorly. But my mother said, we never froze. There was always something to eat on the table. It may not have been much, but there was always something to eat. My grandparents had seven hungry mouths around the table that were, you know, just, you know, you know how kids are. They're, they can eat everything in sight. They're just that way. And yet something happened in my grandparents' life. One Sunday, somebody invited my grandparents to go to church with them. And my grandparents went to church and under the preaching of the Word of God that Sunday morning, my grandfather became convicted of his sins. My grandmother became convicted of her sins. They put their faith and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. They were born again. And my grandparents testify how from that point on, as they learned to tithe and to be generous, how God blessed their lives and ended up prospering them. And I didn't know my grandparents when they were poor, but God turned around and prospered their lives. And out of their lineage has come successful professionals and bankers and mill owners. And God has just so blessed accountants and doctors because of what God did in the lives of my grandparents when they gave their hearts to Jesus. Good will come to you and your children will be blessed and your grandchildren will be blessed. The Bible says this in Psalms 37 and verse 26. The godly ones are the generous ones who give freely to others, and their children are blessed and become a blessing. Somebody say amen. What's he saying? You're putting your trust, according to what 1 Timothy says, you're putting your trust not in uncertain riches of this world, but you're putting your trust in God. Now, one of, I hadn't planned to preach this message. But this is the right time to preach a message like this. Because since Putin has invaded Ukraine, the economy has just, inflation has taken off, gas prices have gone up, groceries have gone up, you've experienced it, we've experienced it. We're living in a time of uncertain economy right now, and yet our trust is not in the economy. That's how quickly things can turn around. I've told you before about being in Argentina when overnight the government changed how everything worked financially and people, there, was a, there, there wasn't even a run on the banks because their money was worthless after what the government did. Things can change in a moment, but when we put our trust in God, God promises that He will take care of us. God promises good. God promises that good will come to your children. He will bless your children and grandchildren. Literally, that can be translated, people will learn to bless in the name of your family. People will learn to bless. In the name. Your family will become a blessing. Your family will become a lasting memorial because people will remember you. So one day, people may be blessing in the name of Patton. One day, people may be blessing in the name of Scafidi. Just think about that, how God, how God makes your family become a lasting memorial because your generous good comes to you. Your family and your children are blessed, just like my sisters and I are blessed, and our children are blessed. But the third thing God promises is that he will bless my work. Now, you could change this to business. You could change this to investments. You could change this to your farm. I said in the first service this morning, I'm not aware of any farmers that are in the church, 
And um, I, so I used businesses and industry and investments and your salaries as an illustration. And we had a family visiting with us this morning, and he came up to me with a big smile and stuck his hand out. Somehow or another, I knew exactly what was coming. He said, Pastor, you don't know me. We've never met. This is my first time, but I'm a proud farmer. <laughs> and I was so happy to meet him and shake his hand and talk with him for just a few minutes after the service. But God promises that he will add his blessings on your work. Good will come to you. Blessings will come to your children. But the Bible also says that when you live in this way, prosperity, gratitude, and, and generosity will all be a part of your life. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring Him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you, then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Now, let's break this verse out just for a little bit, because this is calling for total commitment. I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon of the pig and the chicken, and the chicken says to the pig, you know, let's help the children at the orphanage. I'll give some eggs, and you give a ham. And the pig looks at the chicken and says, for you, that's a gift. For me, that's a sacrifice. And so we're talking about sacrifice here. We're talking about total commitment. Glorify God with all your wealth. That could be your business, your income. That could be your retirement, you know, your farm. Honoring him with your very best, not with your second best, not with something used, not with a, a wounded lamb or a lamb with a broken leg, but bring your very best and with every increase it comes to you, and God says in every dimension, every facet, my life as a person, my life as Becky's husband, as a partner, my life as a father and a grandfather, as a parent, my life as a pastor, and my life as a pilgrim, God promises then that every dimension of my life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. And that uncontainable source of inner joy is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, who lives inside of me. For greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is within me than inflation. Greater is he that is within me than war. Greater is he that is within me than anything the devil can throw my way, God says he will bless and increase our work as we serve him. Isn't that a wonderful promise that he brings into our life? You're not committed to the Lord until your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony are committed to Christ. Let me say it again. And I know there are some people that will buck up at this, but I say this based on the authority of the word of God. You are not committed to Christ. My unbelieving friend that hasn't crossed the line shows more faith and trust in God and generosity than a Christian that does not totally commit his time, his talent, his treasure, and his testimony or his life story to the Lord. The Bible says the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I like to be refreshed, don't you? I like it in the summertime to dive into a cold swimming pool. I don't want a warm pool. I want, that's something bracing. I don't want to dive in Lake Superior, so don't come up with any ideas about that. I tried that, and that wasn't pleasant. But refreshing is a cool swimming pool or a cool lake to, to dive into. I like it when I'm 
playing around the golf, and I get a glass of lemonade at the turnaround, and I have a sandwich or something, and I usually grab it and go out to the cart, and there's a, well, I should say a bottle of lemonade and a, and a BLT or something like that just to go to the next hole with and wolf it down. There's just something about refreshing about that. But the Bible says that if you are generous, then God will see to it that you're constantly refreshed. I don't know about you, but there are times spiritually, there are times emotionally, there are times physically, I need refreshing. And God says you will find that when you live generously. I love what John Bunyan wrote in The Pilgrim's Progress. A man there was, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. He that bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and ten times more. Isn't that powerful? He that bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and ten times more. So good will come, our children will be blessed, our work will be blessed, but then also God promises that I will be happier. I will be happier. You get your business blessed, you get your family blessed, you get your children blessed, good comes to you, and then God says, I'll be happier. Now, Jesus made a remarkable statement. He said, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say that one out loud together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Look at your neighbor and say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, can I be honest? I mean, I really want to be honest. L look me in the eye. This is confession time. When I was a kid, I didn't believe that. I was a kid, no. There was no way I believed that. There was nobody looked forward to Christmas more than me because I was getting... I was, <laughs> I was getting. And when I bought my mom and my dad a gift, I was buying a gift for them with money they gave me to buy a gift for them. So they were none the richer nor none the poorer, unless they didn't like my gifts, with what I bought for them with what they gave to me. That's how Sixpence None the Richer got their name for their group. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but they were a contemporary Christian group that back when David Letterman was still on the air, he actually was so taken with their, their music and the songs they sang for the Lord on his show that night that he called the lead singer over and he says, how did you guys ever choose this name? And he told him, he says, well, he says, the Bible says that when we give, God gives back to us, but we only give God what he gave us. And he says, in one of C.S. Lewis's stories, he talks about how that a son was given six pence by his father so that he could buy a gift for him. He says, and the father was neither richer nor poor because the son bought something for him with the sixpence. And he says, that's how we want to live our lives, giving back to God by giving to others. And Dave Letterman that night, you can Google this, Dave Letterman that night, tears in his eyes, and he said, this world would be a better place if everybody lived by what you just said. You see, God says to us, I will bless you. Good's going to come. Your children are going to be blessed. Your business will be blessed. When I was in Calcutta, I went to visit the, you know, I was preaching for the Buntane uh, Medical School there. I was preaching at, at the at the large, there's a large Assemblies of God church there. I've taught not only at the school, but I preached in some of the orphanages and just did a lot of traveling in India preaching. I went one day then to Mother Teresa's leprosorium, and, and I spent a day just bathing lepers and trying to care for them at the leprosorium. And 
just overwhelmed at what I saw and what I experienced. I went to Mother Teresa's grave, again, not to talk to Mother Teresa, but just to pray, Lord, help me to live like she lived. Help me to live where lost people matter and hurting people matter. Mother Teresa said, people have it all wrong when it comes to giving. She says, people think that when they give, they're poor. People think when they give, they have less money. She says, when they give, there are less hungry people. When they give, there are people that, who have clothes. When they give, there are people that get health care. When they give, there are people that come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he, she just went through a long list of what happens when they give. And she says, you're only giving back to God what God gave to you. You're not poorer for your giving. You're happier. You're richer for your giving. And several times in the years since I've come back, I have met people. I met a man one night. We were, had some friends come in from out of state, and uh, we went down and had dinner in a restaurant in Detroit. They wanted to see Detroit, and so we went down, and we had dinner, and our, our server came over to us, and I could tell by his accent that he was from Kolkata, and so I, I just, and I know immigrants get tired of being asked this question, where are you from, but I said to him, I said, you sound like you're a Bengali, and this is where you're from, and he turned around and looked at me, and he says, I am. And so I talked with him for a moment. He was familiar with the ministries that I was talking about. And then he just wanted to talk. And afterwards, he came over and shook my hand as I was leaving the restaurant. I, I pulled into a service station. And because the discount was so steep, I didn't use my credit card. I went in and paid cash for the gas. And when I went in, I, I took note. There was no alcohol. There was no pornography in the store. It was uh, owned by a, a, an Indian business owner. And when he began to speak, I recognized that accent again. So I said, do you happen to know the name Mark and Hulda Buntain? And he looked at me and he says, yes, I know, Brother Mark, and I know, Sister Hulda. I was an orphan on the streets of Calcutta. I had no hope, and they took me in, and they clothed me, and they fed me. They gave me an education. They taught me how to work and how to tithe and how to save. And then he put, look, look, my store. He says, there's nothing ungodly in my store. <laughs> And he had been reached. I'm telling you, somebody gave so the Buntains could do what they were doing as missionaries. That person's name may not be known here, but it will be known in heaven because we are not poor for giving to God. We're giving back to God what he gave to us. And there are less hungry people, less hurting people, and people come to know Jesus Christ. That's the power of generosity. So yes, I'm happier. Good comes to me. My children are blessed. My work is blessed. God makes me happier, but then God promises my world will increase as well. My world expands. Nobody lived a more influential life on this planet than Jesus Christ. Jesus has more followers than anybody alive today. I don't care how many somebody has on their Facebook or Instagram account. Jesus has more followers worldwide than anyone else. And you've got to think about this because when Jesus was crucified for our sins and was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, you know, it wasn't very many people that knew Jesus. I know more people than Jesus knew when he went back to heaven. You know more people probably than Jesus knew when he went back to heaven. There were 500 that knew him that personally, but there weren't a whole lot of people that knew him. Only 120 people showed up in the upper room out of that 500. 
church was very small. And yet, the influence of those 12 fishermen, tax collector, remember they were at the very bottom of respect and influence in society? Those handful of people within a few days had turned Jerusalem upside down. They turned the Roman world upside down within 300 years. They literally, their influence spread like wildfire. God makes your world grow bigger. Through their influence, think about this. Not only have millions been reached, billions reached for Christ, not only have illness has been cured and healed, not only has illiteracy been healed, because the first schools, the first banks, the first, it was all started by believers. The first hospitals were all started by believers. When you think about those that were in slavery, it was because the influence of believers that slavery was overturned and made illegal. When you think about the Christian influence, so much of what you're hearing in the news about unjust war and war crimes, it's because of the influence of Christians that were there. Don't underestimate the power of your influence when your trust is in God. I am by nature an introvert. I am not an extrovert. Some of you are, you're just tremendous networkers. You're constantly making friends on Facebook. You're making friends on Instagram. You meet people. You, you've got this extensive network of people. I, 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 I'm an extrovert. I don't go out seeking to build a network. And yet God has given me such an expansive network and world. Not that I tried to build but because God's goodness, when you were generous, God does something in your life. Look at what the Bible says. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. What's he saying? That the world of the generous, their influence increases and increases and increases. And you don't have to desire to have a bit in that work. Every secretary I've ever hired... Every secretary, they will tell you, my first instruction to them, if John Anna was here in the service, she'd tell you, my first instruction is keep my name out of the newspaper. I don't want to blow my trumpet. I don't want people talking about Dennis Clanton. I really don't want them talking about Woodland Church. I want them talking about Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I want them talking about, if we will talk about Jesus and be generous, they'll know who we are. They'll know who you are. Somebody say amen. Your world gets larger and larger. Number six, God promises overflowing blessings in my life. Overflowing blessings in my life. Let me use this pulpit for, for example, or this table. I shouldn't say pulpit, this table. I can still see people picking on the farm. And they had these bushel baskets. And before they took them to the trailer, the basket would get full. And they'd take the basket and they'd bounce it like that. And all the stuff would just settle down in the basket. They pick some more to get full again. They shake it again, just like that. And they keep doing that until finally, you know, vegetables or whatever was just sliding off the basket. And then they lift those baskets up and they take them to the, to the trailer and put them on the trailer. But the baskets were pressed down and shaken together. Now, when Becky and I got married, I didn't know anything about grocery shopping. I didn't know anything about washing clothes. I ruined the first load of laundry I did. I mean, totally ruined it. But I remember we went and bought groceries, and we bought a box of cereal, box of cereal. 
And because Becky likes everything in canisters, and I was helping her unpack the groceries, and I opened up the box, and I pulled out the back. Big box, that much cereal. I looked at the box, big box, that much cereal. Becky, they lied to us. Somebody cheated us of our cereal. And Becky explained to me, they don't sell it by the box size. They sell it by the ounce. So sure enough, there was the proper amount of ounces, but big box, little cereal. Never trust the box. Never trust the box. The box lies. And from that, I learned a lesson. And years later, I would have the joy of, Becky and I would have the joy of teaching this to our children about generosity, how God takes and shakes the basket. And when you get a basket from God, it's not big box, little blessing. It's big blessing that God brings into your life because God says he will give it to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over without measure. Somebody say amen this morning. That's how God works in our lives. Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour upon you with such overflowing measure that it will run over the top. And your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. God is waiting on me to give because giving primes the pump in my life. Number seven, God promises to meet all my needs. God promises to meet all my needs. Now, look me right here. God does not promise to meet all my greed. He says, I will meet all your need, but I won't meet all your greed. And you're the same way with your children. You know that you can't satisfy their every greed. If you do, you're going to harm them. You're going to hurt them. Remember what I talked about? You sometimes will make a promise to your child to give them to eat vegetables. You never have to make a promise to your child to eat dessert. Never had to get my children to say to them, I'll do this for you if you'll eat your dessert. No. They live for dessert. When they were children, every meal should start with dessert. I personally still feel that way that every meal should start with dessert. But Jesus says, I will be sure that you get everything you, get, you, you need. I want you to have the good that comes from giving. My God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything that you need. Look again at this next verse. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves your hilarious generosity Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, in every way. Look at that. More than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. What's he saying? He wants you to give because you delight in giving. You have a generous heart. You want to bless others. That's what God wants. Do not feel for one moment I'm preaching this message to manipulate you. I don't want you to tithe. I don't want you to give if you're going to do it with a bitter heart or you feel manipulated or you feel grumpy about it. I want you to be blessed by God. I want you to be rewarded by God. I have never preached any message on giving in such a way that, I've, that I, I pray has never brought condemnation but has brought hope to people that you're richer for giving, you're not poor for giving. 
And I know that it's been taught that way. And I know that it's been taught you can, if you'll do this, then, then, then God is obligated. God's not obligated to do anything for me. God does it because he loves us. It's like the little girl who won a Bible memorization contest in church. The prize was $2. And she told her teacher, she says, I gave it all in the offering. And her teacher said, I'm so proud of you. You gave it all in the offering this morning? And she goes, yes. She says, well, why did, you didn't have to give it all. It was yours. Why did you give it all? She says, because now maybe God will give me what I really want. You know, that's not the way we give, but that's the way some people think about giving. God is going to take care of you. Number eight, God promises to multiply what I give to him. You remember the story of the little boy's lunch? The little boy brought his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus took that little lunch, broke it, blessed it, and fed over 5,000 people with it. That's a miracle. I mean, that's an astounding miracle that Jesus did. And God will take whatever you give, and he will multiply. When I think about how God has blessed the offering we've given to Convoy of Hope, and the people that their needs are being met, their hungry people are being fed. Through Convoy, mattresses are going, water is going, food is going, hygiene products are going, generators are going, first aid and medical equipment is going, uh, baby food is going, formula for babies is going. Children are being rescued all through Convoy. We're resourcing our partners in eight nations around. When you think about this, and then Becky and I recently had dinner with a, a man who's, who, who works with Convoy of Hope, and they work with the really big hitters. We're talking about like superstar athletes and superstar actors that have faith in God, and some of them that don't even profess to be Christians, but they see what Convoy is doing and how they're stepping up to the plate. And I was asking them to help me understand how they communicate with these folks and help them see. And he, they're stepping up to the plate. God will multiply what we give to him. Here's the point the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let me read that again. Read that with me. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Look, giving is not a debt I owe. It's a seed I sow. Let me say it again. Giving is not a debt I owe. It's a seed I sow. I'm not in debt for my tithe. It comes off the first I get to tithe. I get to worship God with my tithe. That's the purpose of tithing, to teach me how to reverence and trust the Lord. I get to tithe. I get to be involved with God's work. I get to give offerings. Just as the Scripture says about the one who trusts in him because he is sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous needs will never be forgotten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, He's even more extravagant towards you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he supplies the seed as you sow it so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. You will be abundantly enriched in every way as you, give, as you give generously on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. When I give... It breaks the hold of, of, of materialism in my life. I'm so proud of my wife. 
She packs these gallon Ziploc bags. I had to find out what kind of bags they were after the service because I just said bags. And she puts toiletry items, toothbrushes, toothpaste, and she puts energy bars. She puts a, a gift card for meals in there. And when she meets homeless people, she just gives them to them and blesses them. There's a little uh, tract about the Lord inside those things. And it's so much better than just handing a dollar bill out the window. But she's generous, and she blesses, and God has blessed and enriched us in every way. I've seen it in her business as she started this year, because God will always multiply the seed you sow. It's not a debt. It's a seed you sow. And then finally, the last promise. God promises that I will have real treasure for eternity. God promises that I'll have real treasure for eternity. I want to share with you something very personal, and I don't recall ever having shared this anywhere. I shared it in the first service, and I, I really did get choked up about it. When I was 17, I still wasn't well. I still had a lot of problems. Matter of fact, I came home from this and had to have another major surgery. But I begged my parents to let me go on a missions trip to Bogota, Colombia. I was witnessing to people in school and people that knew me, knew what God was doing in my life. I was witnessing Macon was the home of Southern rock and roll, and I was witnessing to the hippies, and I really wanted to go on a missions trip. I wasn't healthy enough for it. I wasn't ready for it. But someone you've heard me talk about before who took a real interest in my life, John Rayburn, promised to take care of me, promised to watch out for me, And it turned out to be much more challenging than John and I, either one, realized. There were still the horrible smells, decaying flesh. There was weakness. There was sickness. But I was so happy to be there. There weren't the proper facilities that we thought were going to be there, which made my challenges even more challenging. I was embarrassed. But those young people... They surrounded me. They acted like nothing was wrong. And they knew. John knew. And I felt such a part of a community. I struggled a lot with shame because of what was all going on. But God blessed. I led a young man to Christ. I witnessed to a lot of people, but I led this, I'll never forget, I can see him in my mind just as clear as I see you this morning. I led him to Christ, and on the day we left, he came to the airport to see us off. And he came to me, and he said these words. He said, we may never see each other again, but because you came to Bogota and you shared Jesus with me, I will see you in heaven. And then he gave me a, guilt of a, a gift of a belt that he made me. I kept that belt. and We lost it in the flood. But I kept that belt. In those days, I had a 26-inch waist, Pastor Corey. <laughs> but it meant so much to me. But I've often thought about that story. I'll see you in heaven. 
That's what Jesus means when he said this verse, because some people misunderstand this parable. Jesus said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. I made a friend, and I haven't seen him since then, but I'll see him one day in heaven. And in your missions giving to Ukraine, your missions giving to Asia or to South America, Africa, parts of Europe, your missions giving, you're going to meet people in heaven that you've never met before. Like Mother Teresa said, you're not poor for it, but there are less hungry people. There are less uneducated people. There are less people dying of disease. But most importantly, there are people that are coming to know Jesus Christ and their home is in heaven because you've been generous. So will you look at your notes and let's just go over this one more time. God promises that good will come to me. God promises that my children and my grandchildren will be blessed. God promises he'll bless my work, my investments, my business. God promises that I'll be happier. God promises that my world will increase. I'll have more influence. God promises overflowing blessings in my life. The basket's shaken. God promises to meet all my needs. God promises to multiply what I give him. And then God promises you will have treasure. You will have friends for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? I've given you some growth work that I'd like you to meditate upon. I've also given you some wonderful resources. And if you have any questions, I'd love to dialogue with you on this. And I want to invite you this morning, if you're not a generous person, I want to invite you to this morning, put your faith in God. You believe what you do. You've crossed the line. You've given your heart to Jesus. Now begin to follow him in financial faithfulness. And if you are generous and you've been giving and you're not a Christian yet, you've discovered the joy of generosity, but you don't know anything yet. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the load of sin is taken away. That burden is cut. You have new purpose. You get a fresh start in life. And like my grandparents, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, and your great-great-grandchildren, and now their great-great-great-grandchildren are experiencing the blessings of God because they committed their lives to Jesus Christ. So would you stand with me and let me pray with you this morning. Father, I love you, and I pray that the promises of this message have touched hearts and lives this morning. I pray that those that have been generous but haven't yet put their faith in you, the Holy Spirit, you will convict them. And they'll pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray it out loud wherever you're at. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood to forgive my sins. I don't even like to admit it. But I am a sinner, Lord, and I need forgiveness.
that only you can give. So thank you for making that available to all who will receive it. And as much as I know how, I invite you to come into my heart and my life in Jesus' name. And if you did that, he did that for you right then. And if you're a Christian that you've not been generous yet, just be honest with yourself. You've not been generous if you're not tithing. You're not being generous if you're not giving to those in need. You're not being generous if you ignore the hurt and the need of your family or your neighbor. So would you join me in prayer right now and just pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to be generous. I've listened to this message and I really want good and blessing and favor, prosperity to come upon my life and my children. I want our name to be remembered when I am in heaven with you. I want our name to be remembered because we were a blessing to others around us. So give me the faith to trust you. Break any powers, Lord, like consumer debt. Break any powers of fear. And God, I know the enemy is whispering, you can't do this. Crush the mouth of the lion and that lie. For that lie will keep them in physical, spiritual, emotional, and financial poverty. Break that lie. And Lord, just like the manna never ran out, your blessings will never run out. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, smile upon you. May he bring good into your life, blessings upon your children and your grandchildren. May your work flourish and prosper, your investments prosper. May you find joy and happiness in learning to give to God. And may you become preachers of generosity and say to others, there is more joy in giving than there is in receiving. Go in peace and in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen and amen.